Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as you uh, may be aware, we've been walking through the uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, the hall of faith, and telling all the great stories of the men of faith and how they took what it was that they believed and put it into action. And uh, so we're walking, you're kind of using it as an outline to tell a bunch of different stories. And so this morning I have been assigned one verse. So um, don't get too comfortable. We're going to be done here in about 36 seconds. Um, so the, the verse for today that we're going to be looking at is, in, is uh, Hebrews 11:20, And it says this, by faith... Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Thank you. Have a good morning. <laughs> um, I look at that and I kind of go, why is that an act of faith? I have children. And as I look at my daughter sitting over here and she sees me up here and now starts to go, oh, no. Don't worry, Elizabeth. I'll be talking mostly about your brothers today. Why would it be an act of faith to invoke, invoke blessing on both of your children, on these twins? That doesn't seem like a stretch at all, does it? So the good news is we get to go and find out why that would be an act of faith and why that might even be something difficult, because um, I believe it was. And I believe it's also going to create for us a bit of tension around why does God choose one over the other? So that sounds like fun, but that's, you know, welcome to my journey over the last week or so. Um, if you would flip with me back uh, to Genesis 25, I'd like to kind of begin by walking through that story with you. I'm not a great storyteller, and so I'm just going to read for you this passage in this very small print Bible. Um, so while you're turning, I'd like to pray with, with you and then we'll, we'll go ahead and dive in. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are holy, that you are good and right and perfect, um, even when we don't understand fully. Father, would you open our eyes today? Uh, would you show us a bit of who you are through this story in Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 25, starting in verse 19, says, These are the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 47 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean. Oh my goodness, i got to pronounce all these names. <laughs> of Pada Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. That sounds familiar. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, The two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger." When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All of his body was like a hairy cloak, and so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. They were already fighting. So his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. The way to a man's stomach, even then, was through his heart. Wait. That. Back up. Way to a man's heart was... Anyway, you got it. This is why I read instead of tell stories. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What is the use of a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So there's a bunch more that goes on in this story, um, but some of the common themes. This is the child of promise, Isaac, and we'll talk more about him as we, as we lead into this, I'll get into this a little further. So we're talking about the child of promise who has two sons. He knows that he's the child of promise. His wife is barren, as his mother was barren. He's 60 before he has a child. And then he has twins. Sound like fun to you? I'm 48 years old. I can't wait for my children to be out of the house. We are longing, longing for empty nesting. Everybody I talk to says, that will come far too fast and then you'll be sad. And I long to be sad. I long to be sad. So Rebecca prays and God answers the prayer. Children struggle, they're fighting, and this will continue and continue and continue. In fact, the sons of Esau, the Edomites, will actually take part in the destruction of Solomon's temple, partnering with Nebuchadnezzar during that capture later on in the Old Testament, according to Obadiah. And so here we have this battle that begins. How are you guys doing right now? Brothers, I see you sitting together. Having fun? You can slide over if you need to. <laughs> there begins a battle. And I, and I have two sons. And I can't tell you how many times I wake up in the morning because of them. Not because I'm ready to get up, but because of them. And so here we go with whatever, and it's the one stomping down the hallway because somebody said something that they shouldn't have said or hit them with something that they shouldn't have. Oh, sorry, this doesn't happen in my house because I'm in ministry, right? Wrong happens constantly in my house. I get it. I get it. And the reason I kind of go there is because I think we have a tendency when we go through stories like this, we dehumanize the characters in Scripture and get immediately to, what's the point of this? And I think the point of this sometimes is that they're people. And if we're going to talk about their faith, it's probably a good idea to draw an accurate picture of what's going on. So these two guys fight. One is favored by their father. One is favored by their mother. Sound like a fun place to live? Some of you may have grown up there. 
hate my sister. Oh, sorry, that was supposed to be an inside thought. No, that came out, I apologize. It's... No, my, my sister was the straight A's, got into whatever college she wanted to get into. She's far funnier than I am. That makes me crazy, because I'm supposed to be the humorous person. I like to entertain people, I like people. She's funnier than me, smarter than me, got a better job than me. And yet, if, I think if you had said to my parents, which one of us would you like to bless? Would they have been able to choose? Would you? Could you choose today who you would bless? And yet God does this. God makes a decision on who gets blessed in this story. You starting to feel some of this tension that I'm experiencing as we begin to, we begin to talk through this story? So the time comes where Isaac is, his eyes are going, it's clearly, in modern day terms, we're getting ready to move him to hospice, right? And so he calls his sons, and he t- sends Esau out to the field to, prepare, to catch something and to prepare a meal for him so that he can offer him this blessing. Well, Rebecca catches wind of this, dresses up, you may know the story, dresses up Jacob, puts on the thing so that he's hairy, and says, oh, well, the voice is this, but it's clearly this, and so he offers his blessing that he had saved for Esau to his son Jacob. So we see this in Genesis 27, and I want to, and there's two blessings, he ends up blessing both sons, but I want to put the blessings side by side for you so you see the difference. Because originally, when we look at this verse, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. It seemed like there's not much faith there, because there's two sons, two blessings. This is not a problem. But look at these two blessings. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. I'm likely not going to give you a blessing like this on my deathbed, just so you know. Seems like a great blessing, doesn't it? We're passing down now through Isaac to Jacob, the heir of the promise. This is now the line that this is going to follow through this promise that God has given to Abraham, now to Isaac, and now to Jacob, that all nations will be blessed through this seed, through this line, through this generation. This has now been passed down. So what happens next? Well, Esau comes back, right? Fully unaware of the deception, prepares the meal, sets it before his father to receive the blessing. We see this a little further down, and we'll start in verse 36 because it's fairly dramatic. And this picture that we've painted of Esau, this rugged hunter, this manly man, manly man or whatever, however we want to phrase this, 
this guy's guy who's going to go hunting and fishing and yada, 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 yada. He's not sitting and reading a book or whatever like, like Jacob is doing, right? That's, I'm stereotyping in a huge way here. Please forgive me, but you get the idea. This is a fairly dramatic passage. Starting in verse 36, Esau says, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taking away my blessing. I didn't realize those were separate. Apparently, they're two things. Then he said, Have you not received a blessing from me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, and here's the blessing. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Sound like the same blessing? I'm not encouraged by this blessing. There's a tremendous act of faith that happens in the hardest of moments right here. Where he finally agrees with the promise that was given before they were even born. That says the younger will serve the older. Flip that. The older will serve the younger. And within this, there is in me a tremendous amount of tension because it doesn't seem fair. Are you experiencing this tension with me? See, Isaac would have been able to recognize this firsthand. I think. And I think about myself as the father of two boys too, and I think about the differences between them. And I think about Lucas who, at 10 years old, 11 years old, is his first word to me every morning. You ready for this? His first word every morning, regardless, is like this. Huggy. every morning. Stephen's first word to me every morning is, <laughs> hi, Dad. <laughs> In that moment, I can tell you who I would bless and who I would not. Completely different. But in earnestness, if God came to me and said, Here's the way this is going to go. I've chosen one to fulfill my promise, and I've not chosen the other. What act of faith would it take on my part to obey? Ugh. 
I think we look at these heroes of the faith and think that the, fa- the acts of faith that they, that they were in were just simple, easy things. I even think about Noah and the fact that he lands on earth. There's nobody left. Let's hang out. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I, I'm, I'm baffled by the sacrifice of men of faith. Because it continues on and on. But again, Isaac would have been a first-hand witness to this. In fact, when, when Rick was reading last week through the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, there's this fascinating part of uh, verse 2 in, in I, I think it's chapter 15 or 25 or whatever, but it says, Abram, Abraham, take your son, your only son, who you love. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? No. There was one before. And I kind of want to walk through this a little bit. So flip back a couple pages to Genesis 16. And I want to read for you this story. It should be up on the screen for you. So starting at the beginning of the chapter, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant for you to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. So Sarah's frustrated. Sounds like Hagar's frustrated also. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power, do to her as you please. And Sarah didn't treat her very well from that point. And so Hagar runs away. And there God meets her. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Blessed, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears, because the Lord had listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called, here we go again, Berlahai Roy, let's go with that. It lies between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael, 
Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And yet here we have a few chapters later, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go do this. What happened to the other son? Where does this other son go? Is there value in this other son? I have the privilege of working most of my world in college ministry. These are the questions that we get from people who either want to simply have an argument or who are honestly seeking, this doesn't make sense to me. So how do we respond to stuff like this? Because with Ishmael, you have this son of Abraham, the child of the, the, of, of the promise, who God then rejects. And we'll, and we'll hit that in a moment. Ishmael is promised here that he will be a great nation. He has 12 sons, 12 princes, and he and his sons go across from Egypt to, let's go this way for your sake, we go across from Egypt west to what is now Saudi Arabia, and actually the Arab nation is founded there through the seed of Ishmael and Abraham. They're still fighting with the nation of Israel, Jacob, today. Fascinating, isn't it? So Abram has his firstborn son. So Genesis 17, I want to read this to you real quick because this is where the thing flips again. Genesis 17, 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I'll give, her, give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's just found out that he's having another son who will be the child of the promise, and his thoughts are immediately to his son, Ishmael, who he loves. It's his son, even though he's a wild donkey. God said, no. <laughs> what do you do with that? Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him, a, make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. I love the faith that goes along with this line of promise, this, this group that is heir to the promise of God. My heart breaks for this other nation, this Arab nation. My heart breaks for this Edomite nation. They actually settled in what is present-day Jordan, south of Israel. It's a nation of people that God didn't choose 
It's a little tense. So I went back and said, okay, well, let's look back through the rest of Hebrews 11 and say, does God always choose one? Cain and Abel. One sacrifice was pleasing, one was not. We're not given a lot of reason behind that. And then we hit Abraham and Isaac, and we have Enoch who was so close to God that God chose him and just took him away. And then the most dramatic choosing of only one, you have Noah, who was chosen by himself. And yeah, he grabbed some family, but he was the chosen person to save humanity from the wrath of God. And I would be lying if I said I just wasn't struggling with this, with this tension that goes through this thing. But it continues. It goes deeper than that. Let's take a look at, at, at Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Through this bizarre event, you have this place where Noah actually curses Ham, his son Ham, and blesses Shem. And it's out of Shem line, Shem's line that Abram shows up. Out of Ham's line, you ready for this? Ham had, two, had four sons. Two of them are named Egypt. Guess where they settled? And another is named Canaan. This is in Genesis 10. Guess where Canaan settled? Out of Canaan are the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gerbashites, the Hiphites, even the Philistines who the Israelites fought with constantly. All of these come from Ham's line. And yet here we have this promise that says this. Are you ready? Through this line, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Doesn't sound like that. It doesn't even feel like that. Here's where I settled, because I had to. God chooses one, not the others. The love of the promise flows from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to people like Tamar, to people like Ruth and Boaz, to people like King David, all the way to the place where they finally intersect with the one whom the promise is intended for finally, which is Christ. God chose one, his son, to be the final heir in this promise, to then establish a new promise that includes us and all nations of the world. Through Christ, the Edomites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Arabs, the Israelites, the Europeans, the Asians, the Americans, the, through Christ, 
we are invited to be adopted into the family of God through Christ all of these things become square again what do we do with this time because there's the question nagging right well what about from here to here what about from the time that this happened until the time that Christ came what happens to those people I don't know I don't know Here's what I know. I know that God is holy. I know that He is good and right and perfect. I know that He is just. And I believe with all my heart that on the day where I finally get bef to stand before Him and ask, what about this? And He tells me that I'll go, oh, that makes sense. I believe in the quality of the promise maker. I believe in the picture that he paints in Revelation 7. Revelation 7, 9 says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to, our, and to the Lamb. All nations, all tribes, all languages will stand before the throne as a result of the promise that comes through Christ. Isaac is commended for his faith because he valued the promise of God so much that he was faithful, even in the hardest thing imaginable, which was effectively sending his son away. For us today as disciples, we have a charge to offer the same blessing to others. The gospel is not spread through angels. Do you notice this? God has a host of angels and the gospel is not spread there. The gospel is spread through us. Why doesn't he just use the angels? You wanna know why? The angels have never had the need to experience forgiveness from their sin. They've never experienced separation from God the way that we have as a result of our choices. And therefore, those of us who have been restored to relationship with God have been given the task of passing this promise, this blessing on to those around us. My challenge to you today, will you choose one? Will you choose one and sacrifice for them? Will you choose one and give your life to them? Bless them? Teach them how to commune with God in earnest? As a disciple, will you make disciples? Do we have faith enough to do that? To act?
Would you pray with me this morning?